0: Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Jared Hill is an award-winning journalist, a professor, an artist. He's contributed to the New York Times, Variety, NBC, CNN International, and beyond. Uh, he ha- He's a past president, immediate past president of the National Association of Black Journalists of Los Angeles. And he's also an author. He's got a book out called Historically Black Phrases, uh, which dives deep into the black vernacular. Jared Hill, welcome.
1: you always make me sound so cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you are so cool. And uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have you with me this morning, this uh, Iowa caucus hangover morning.
1: I know. I I was listening to your conversation and I was like, I I was listening and like talking back to the radio and I was like, oh, I'll be on in a few minutes. I can chill out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there was some good news. I wanted to say there's good news and there's bad news. I think it's mostly not that great um, because the 45th president really pounded the competition,
1: didn't he? Yeah, well I think this is this is an interesting moment. I was hearing the conversation about how we're hearing uh conservatives and, and really I put an asterisk there and really I think we largely need white folks, right? Yeah are using <laughs> Donald Trump and the story of David to be able to like to tor- correlate those things, saying like, Oh, like David was, you know, God working in mysterious ways with how Lawrence O'Donnell spoke about that last night, right? Um, I just I saw that and I was thinking about we really need to be pointing out how this is how white folks will be able to justify anything going mm.
0: forward,
1: right? I think yeah. it's so important that we see how they can see this person who defies all of the different norms, who does not speak in a way that would um, would beget Jesus, right? Who. <laughs> who quotes the Bible as two Corinthians and different things like that, right? Like it's very clear that Donald Trump does not have like an attachment to Christianity, but the evangelicals have really surrounded him in this way because it gives them the opportunity to justify whatever they want. Right. And it can be putting kids in cages. It can be being indicted. It can be anything. And when that ire gets turned toward black folks, when that ire gets turned toward women, when that ire gets turned toward Jews, when that ire gets turned toward uh, like Latinos or immigrants or disabled or whomever it is, right, it can be justified because, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways and it's all for the greater good. But we have to be clear that that greater good is the notion of white supremacy.
0: Honestly, it's a very excellent point because I think about our enslavement. I mean, it was justified supposedly along biblical lines and so even though it's a it's a new playbook in some ways it's very uh, foundational for our country
1: absolutely like i mean it is as american as apple pie as we might say right like it is very much baked into who we are and how we got here and so i think about that and that is like the thing that concerns me when i see people that are are starting to attach to, to donald trump in that kind of way but like we've been seeing this for years right this isn't new but like when we see how in that same polling that they were talking to people last night they said that uh, i believe it was somewhere in the 60s um, of the percentile asking people if they if donald trump were convicted of a crime would he still be uh you know fit to be president and 60 percent were still saying yes yeah right and so i i believe on the last time i was here we were talking about this if i'm not mistaken but like it's interesting to me. I can't think of who the Trump voter is that is like already a voter for Donald Trump right now that would be deeply moved by a conviction. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? No, that I think that's like, right. Oh, now I'm not voting for him. And, and
0: and we expect our, you know, religious heroes to be martyrs or whatever and that's what they're that's what they're going to paint him as with each conviction. I do think it I think it erodes the Sincere independent voters who think, well, he may be flawed, but you know, I, I, get, my taxes will go down or I'll have a better uh, time on the stock market or where those folks, it may erode them. But I think for the hardcore, and that's the other thing about Iowa with the freezing cold temperatures, it was almost like you had to be on some kind of mission from your idea of God to go out there and support. Trump. So that might be a good thing, because it could be that the more reasonable folks in the Republican Party, if that even is a thing anymore, um, you know, stayed home and would not stay home for the big contest.
1: I, I, I'm, I'm challenged because I think the the ways that the way that all of the polling, which means what any, anymore, right yeah, true but also like the way that we've seen people turn out for Donald Trump, like it's important that we always remember that Donald Trump has never won a popular vote. Right. Yeah. And like Donald Trump has never won for candidates, right? Donald Trump endorsed candidates have never really won um, when we go back and look like they have not had uh, a, a great track record of when it gets comes to the ballot box. And so, when I think about Donald Trump as a candidate, we have to think about how many things there are working against him, and how hard they're working how hard all of the Republicans are working to make this work for him, right? because it's it's really interesting to me when we're when we're seeing people like who are defying their own morals, who are going against what they say their values are, who are voting out of their interest to be able to support this person right, who doesn't have a policy platform. If you go to Donald Trump's website, the last time I was there, it is all about fundraising, and it is all about backing him for his trials, right? He is a person who is has done myriad different things, but these people are still, like, really invested in him, right? And so you have to recognize, like, it is bigger than policy, because when people are talking about, I support Donald Trump's policies, it's like, which ones can you point to, because Donald Trump didn't run on a on a platform in 2016, I mean, excuse me, in 2020, and he's not running on a platform now. He's running on hate. He's running on grievance. He's running on upset, right? And so there's not anything that he's offering Americans other than this picture of whiteness that he that he really sees as you know the way forward.
0: Yeah, which it's not even a dog whistle in a sense. It's just so loud, but. Um... I mean, there is the Project 2025. We were talking about that yesterday, um, which, although it's the Heritage Foundation or whatever and not coming from the Trump campaign directly, it seems like those are the puppeteers because the former president knows that if he delivers for the super conservative um, and the white nationalist extremists, he continues to stay in power. So he pretty much kowtows what they say, and they've laid out a stark America in that document, um, which, you know, is on their website, which is really about structures of governance more than specific policies, but it seems to be clear that it's meant to, you know, smash any remaining remnants of women's rights to choose um, and, it'll follow... In, in some ways, the DeSantis playbook around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and LGBTQ plus rights.
1: I I I haven't gone through the Project Twenty Twenty Five because because of the way my mental health is set up.
0: Yeah, I feel um, you. I,
1: I have, but, <laughs> small <but> I, doses. <laughs> listen, listen, okay. <laughs> um, but I can say that I when I'm, I'm looking at this, it's it's really interesting how we are talking about this from like the God perspective and from the um, Democratic and authoritarian perspective. I just want to also remind people that we have to re- to always be thoughtful that all of this is rooted in a lie. Right. Like yeah. Donald Trump's Donald Trump's entire story is based on a verifiably untrue lie a lot of story i should say right and so like the idea that god is going to anoint this person on a story that's a lie the idea that we need to like cede our government over to a person that republicans called a con man before they voted for him right the idea that we're going to like dismantle democracy so that he doesn't get convicted of a crime or doesn't have to go to jail but like w- all of the ramifications of that for us Right. Just for that man. I just I I hear these conversations that we that we have. And I just kind of always have to remind myself, like, oh, this is a thing that is a lie. Right. Well, so which of the lies are you
0: which of the lies are you referring to, (laughs) Jarrett?
1: Well, I I think about January 6th. Right. I think about the election. I think about the ways that he has really taken that story. Right. January 6th and excuse me, the the election and that fact that he says it was stolen from him we saw the way that they acted that out on January 6th, but we also see how it has grown since then, right? And when we think about the way that they talk about Donald Trump still being president, right, de facto president, or they they think of him as president, in which case, technically, he would be running for a third term, which is also not constitutional. Um, (laughs) But, like, but like, it is just an interesting thing to watch them bend over backwards to support this guy, right? Because they're not supporting, like... They're not supporting public policy. They're not supporting uh each other. Right. They're supporting him and whiteness and white supremacy in the way that that shows up in him and comes out of him. Yeah. And I just I, I'm fascinated by the way that we even see like the Heritage Foundation in this situation with Project 2025. We see them like going out of their way to, to make public policy um, <laughs> positions that they're going to take. Uh, in the future because of what they see as an opportunity in Donald Trump, right? The Republicans have had a really great opportunity in Donald Trump to be able to meet this moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you said on a lie, you know, I thought about the birther lies uh, uh, towards um, Obama, but then I started thinking about the lie that uh, Donald J. Trump is a self-made man, because when I was reading about his childhood, yeah, I know, I need to protect my mental health more, too. um, I learned that (laughs) (laughs) Donald Trump was paid $250,000 a year starting at age two by uh, Fred Trump for being um, an officer in one of his companies and I, you know, that may have been money laundering. It may have been a way to set um, DJT up for life, but that my friends is not a self made man, woman or children that he hates immigrants, but he married to that. He, you know, it, you know, on and on it goes. I mean, there's just so many lies uh, that are fundamental to who this person is supposed to be. Um, that, you know, I, I really couldn't figure out exactly which one you were talking about.
1: Well, I I I respect the follow-up question. There. Like, oh wait, which lie are we talking about? Yeah. Like, that really speaks to the point. Right? <laughs> it speaks to the point of like what we're talking about. Like, there are so many. There's a laundry list. God knows there are 91 indictments that are based on things that they've been lying right um, lying about over the course of various different stories and and uh, time in their administration um, and thereafter. But like, it's it's interesting to me that like to your point when Republicans were running against Donald Trump early in the in the election in 2015, they were all talking about him as a con man. Right? right. All of the people who prop him up now were talking about him as a con man. And so I am I'm I'm just fascinated by that and wondering like at what point does that come back around. But I also have to be hopeful, right? Like because I think that so much of the conversation that I have with folks like really kind of brings me down we talk about our mental health. Right. And, but like, I also have to believe that like so many of us that are out here that are doing this work, that are out here speaking up about it, that are out here talking to our friends and our families about it. I have to believe that it's going to be effective. Right. I think that we've seen it time and time again. Again, reminding you, Donald Trump has never won a popular vote. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and, and and very arguably won in 2016, if we could go down that another day. But like I have to believe that, um, as they spoke about last night, Donald Trump is not gaining voters Right. I don't think people are being converted to Donald Trump after like 91 indictments and the way that we've seen him move since leaving office. I don't think there are people who are being converted to him. But I do think that there are people who are being who are like who are are ground in. Right. Because they have a completely different media ecosystem. Right. Yeah, they that's true. they they see things that are completely different. They hear stories that are completely different. And this is another piece of the coverage in Iowa last night where they're talking about how they don't they don't have the same facts. They don't have the same people. They don't have the same stories. The idea of Donald Trump being convicted might not even reach those folks. Right. Yeah. And so like that is something that we think about when when we're on these platforms like those folks are not listening to KDLA. Yeah. Right. Not, not most of them. Right. Right? And, right. and if there's, if there are, there's a handful. Right. And they're not going to be hearing about an indictment. They're not going to be hearing about a conviction. They're not going to be hearing about the consequences of Eugene Carroll. We're not going to be hearing about Bonnie Willis. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not going to be hearing about any of that. And so it's a, it's a different kind of thing to have to figure out. Like, how do we reach that voter? How do we get them to, to turn their mind in a different direction on these things? It's hard.
0: Award-winning journalist Jarrett Hill is my guest. You are invited in. Always 800 920 I'm Dominique Deprima. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where we amplify black and progressive voices around the clock.
1: She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DiPrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now, right now with now. Dominique DePrima on First Things First. first, first. Things
0: first. And uh, Jared Hill is my guest, but don't be scared. You're always invited in, 809-20-1580. Uh, he is a creative a journalist, a professor, and much more. And uh, trying to unpack what happened yesterday in Iowa, what's happening in our country, and things we need to be tracking. So let's talk about second place or... The race, I don't know, is it the race to be vice president? Is it the race to have a bigger book deal at this point? um, DeSantis and Haley were close to being tied. She's trying to spin that as a victory. He's trying to spin it as a victory predictably. Does that mean neither one of them is going to go away for a long time and we have to keep hearing both of their terrible rhetoric? Or um, does it make them pretty much irrelevant with his his landslide, um, because I know Nikki Haley's coming up on her home, her home state, but she's losing there. So I I just don't see a path forward.
1: Yeah, I think that this is, I mean, we've started, we've already seen a lot of the candidates kind of dropping off and I would expect that we're going to start seeing some more folks drop off in the next week here or so. I'm kind of curious about how they're going to continue to justify Right, they're running. And so when we think about uh, South Carolina, that's going to be on February 3rd. Mm. And so around that time, right, Nikki Haley will see how she does there. If she's, if she's polling really terribly, I would imagine that she's, that she might pull out before that. But I think that the, the question of like, are they running for, for, you know, the vice presidential ticket or are they running for um, a book deal or, or, you know, a, a job at Fox News or whatever it is, is really the question because I'm not really sure I mean, on one hand, I'm like, I don't know how you run with Donald Trump after you run against him in the way that that some of these people are going to have to at some point. But also, like, we've seen every other person in the party that supports him do that, right? We've seen Ted Cruz do it. We've seen Lindsey Graham do it. We've seen, like, the list of people do it. And so I would imagine that no matter how hard they have to go against Donald Trump, which none of them really have, right, but they've had to say that they don't think that that they think he's going to lose or that they think, you know, these other things, I would say, like... Any of them could fold to Donald Trump. I mean, I think we were looking at the the official from who was who it from from Arizona that she was uh, Carrie Lake.
0: Right. We were kind of
1: thinking she might be the vice president. I think Nikki Haley, having worked in his administration, like sure, like it could be any of them. But I don't think it's going to really matter what the what the voters have to say because Donald Trump is not doesn't about the voters. <laughs> he think.
0: doesn't care about the voters. And yeah, that is an interesting um, point. But uh, I was happy to see Vivek uh, Ramaswamy drop out because I'm just tired of hearing him. I, You know, he's such a little poser to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, I always see people like him and I'm like, what is the benefit of Trump loyalty? <laughs> right, because the voters aren't going to vote for you over him. He's not going to be loyal to you. And as soon as you come against him, he's going to eat you alive. Right? right. He's not going to go out go out of his way for you. He's not going to do any of that. And you're a brown person. So, you know, that his level of respect for you is already, you know, it's, it's going to be subpar just out of the gate. And I've just not understood that. Um, uh, I've never understood that strategy for me. For
0: yeah. I mean, think about it. Remember when they were saying hang Mike Pence? <laughs> Imagine if he would have exactly. not been white. <laughs> How Absolutely. frothy that that lynch party would have gotten yeah
1: 1000%.
0: Mm. I I I think you're right that, you know, there's a lot of organizing that can be done and that you know we can't just throw up our hands and say okay because these MAGA folks have never won at least under, with Donald Trump they've never won the um popular vote even though we still have the electoral college so he theoretically doesn't have to win it again but I at this point I'm quite concerned that he could win again. What do you think?
1: I mean, I think I, I would say stranger things have already happened, yeah, right for and sure.
0: So, um, <laughs> him,
1: him winning the first time, I think is the stranger one. him winning the second time is is probably less strange. But, like, I think that Donald Trump could absolutely win again. I think that the way that the way that they have positioned themselves in these swing states that really matter with the electoral college, I think it's absolutely possible. And I think that None of us can be resigned to the idea that, oh, he's, oh, that's going to just take care of itself because it's not. Right. And I think that it's going to take all of us getting up and getting out and voting. And I think that one of the challenges has been we've been hearing this is the most important election of our lifetime since 2008. Right. We're all sick of hearing that. Yeah. Exactly. But like it gets exponentially more true with each of these elections (laughs) because of the situations that we're, that we're seeing ourselves in. Right. And so when we're seeing Donald Trump up against Joe Biden, that is a very different situation than when we were looking at Mitt Romney go against Barack Obama, right? None of us were concerned about whether or not Mitt Romney was going to dismantle democracy and become an authoritarian leader, right? Like right. no one was concerned about that. Yeah. And so when we're thinking about the times that we're in right now and the things that we've already been through, I think that we have to understand how things are just so much different. And this is one of the most, ele- this is probably the most important election of my lifetime for sure at this point. And, God forbid, how will we be talking about that in 2028? Maybe. Yeah, I but, like, hope. I hope not. Will be different. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I hope we won't be talking about it in 2028. But then again, you know, that would mean that we still had elections, so that might be, yeah, you know, a, a, an <laughs> yes. optimistic outlook um, given what we're seeing now. And at this point, it's almost like nothing is hyperbole because of where we are. Um, you know, we. We talked about, and, and we're up against news traffic and sports, so we can talk about this on the other side. But we talked about this, this kind of almost religious fervor and the packaging of him as some kind of savior. You put that up against the situation in Gaza, where many ev- evangelicals feel that that is, you know, Armageddon playing out or some kind of a, some kind of a religious um, prophecy that has to be fulfilled and you put that up against the polarization that we have now. The thing that worries me is I can, I always have a chance if I'm trying to talk you out of a political position or an economic analysis, I can show you data. I can tell a story. Maybe just maybe I'll get through to you. But when you talk about opposing people's religious beliefs, that's tough. Whether it's a cult or an actual religion, it's tough to get through that. How do we do it and what do we have to do to win or do we even have to win those hearts and minds in 2024? We'll look at that and more when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580.
1: KBLA Talk 1580 is an intervention. When we come, we forward, come forward, includes you. KBLA Talk 1580, turning pain into power. 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 We're not for everybody. We're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.
0: Jared Hill is my guest, um, and the book is really fun. You know what? One of these days, we're going to have to just do a whole show on your book, Historically Black Phrases. Jared, where can we get it, though?
1: You can get the book everywhere books are sold. The easiest way to find it, go to historicallyblackphrases.com, and uh, we could get links to all the retailers there.
0: Love, love, love that. It's such a cool project. So, how do you get through to folks who are making political decisions based on religious uh, beliefs?
1: I, you said that are, are rooting for Trump with religious beliefs.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, they, yes, particularly that, but really anything, right? It's like American Taliban, actually.
1: Gotcha. I, I think the, the the thing that you were saying earlier in your question was like it's challenging because nothing is hyperbole anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, we've been saying now for a long time like uh, unprecedented doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, like we we using the phrase uncharted territory doesn't really mean anything anymore because we've been through <laughs> so much crazy over the last yeah. you know five six years. Um, and so when I think about when we're seeing people who have their religion attached to their beliefs, I feel like. The, the idea of trying to convert those folks is a lot more challenging. I don't know how we, how, <clears throat> I don't know how we can necessarily convert those folks so much as we can like expose them to information. Yeah. I think what's really challenging about the Trump voter is that they have such different information as we were talking about. And I yeah. think that wanting to convert people's beliefs is really, really challenging. And I think that more so the, the making sure that we can get correct information out into the world, making sure that people can be, that have um, some sense of media literacy. We're having that conversation in California right now about media literacy and our education. I think that is more of what we can do. But I think that more than that, as far as like, as far as, uh, as the election is concerned, I think we have to make sure that all of us are getting out there. Right. Because that,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: is going to be more effective than trying to convert cars to change parts <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know how we do that.
0: Right. We, we turn ourselves out and that's probably a, a better use of our energy. Um, I, I mentioned the book, um, and you said we can go to historicallyblackphrases.com. dot uh, com. You have a um, black culture game show too. Um, tell me about that, and and what you're taking it on the road, right?
1: Yes. So we have taken the book, historically black phrases, from I ain't one of your little friends to Who are All Gonna Be There. Uh, it turns into <laughs> a pop a pop culture black game show that we're taking on tour. So we'll be in uh, DC at the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Love Library on February eighth. We'll be in Atlanta at the Gathering Spot. Uh, we'll be at the Schomburg in, in Harlem, and then here in Los Angeles, we'll be at the Renberg Theater in Hollywood. Um, and so we'll we'll be loving to have so many people come out and play with us. If you're in the audience, you can real win real prizes and. That's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have notable people as our celebrity uh, contestants on the show. Um, there's a lot of interaction with the audience. So it'll be a lot of fun. So you can go to historicallyblackphrases.com uh, to check out uh, the, the tour dates and obviously come if we're here in Los Angeles or if we're going to be in one of the other cities as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds so fun. Um, and you're following in the foots of uh, Kiki, who won <laughs> first black woman to win, won, yeah. win for game show, which I thought was pretty surprising considering how... Fun and funny we are. We should have been winning for, in that category much, much sooner. But congratulations going out to Miss Kiki Palmer.
1: Yes. I mean, listen, I am a a Kiki Palmer fan account. I love Kiki Palmer. Really? I think she's fantastic <laughs> on anything that she does. I think she's one of the most unique and interesting personalities. And we also have, like, the benefit of having seen her grown up. Yeah. So we have that attachment with her um and the game show thing for us has been a lot of fun because like i've grown up watching game shows my whole life right and like i started off watching the prices right as a little baby with my grandmother <laughs> and so like being able to take a game show on tour is so fun with, for me because we get to do the live audience we get to be in different cities we get to do the game show thing of it um and it's going to be really fun we're mixing in a lot of black media and uh moments from television and music and, and social media and award shows and the various different things that we've um, that we have in culture that we
0: really love. Wow, well, congratulations on that. It's a creative and fun thing. I wouldn't be at all surprised if you got picked up by somebody and started actually doing a television game show. That seems uh, pretty likely uh, to happen. The, the Emmys were I a like bit that idea. Yeah, I like that. yeah. I'm with it. Name, <laughs> name it. Let's name, is, it yes, it. name it and claim it. Name and claim it. Emmy Awards 2025. <laughs> so what <Listen> we, say- <laughs> it, we are working on. It. <laughs> So what we saw last night was actually the 2023 Emmys because of the um, the strike, labor action, that 2023 was delayed. So we're going to have the 2024 Emmys in September. It's going to be one of those blue moon years. I think it may be the first ever where we have two Emmys in one calendar year. Um, and that's a bit confusing. But, y- you know, we were talking earlier in the show about how the L.A. Times uh, claims that diversity is back in the Emmy Awards, and we did have some, mm. some great and historic wins, not just for black people, but for Asian Americans. What was your takeaway as far as that goes?
1: I think that is a beautiful sentiment, period. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I, I think that there's... I think we had a very black Emmy last night, if you look at the behind the scenes. Uh, so Jesse Collins Entertainment produced the show, and it was an all-black, like um, uh, producing staff. So that's, you know, Anthony Anderson was calling it the chocolate Emmys last night. And so while that is true for last night, um, and I want to make clear that I'm saying for last night in capital bold, italicized and underlined <laughs> letters, um, uh, that was true for last night. I think that when we're coming out of this strike, which you just talked about how that has affected our award schedule, none of the unions were fighting for diversity, equity, or inclusion. Right. Well, I mean, mean, sag after
0: got the makeup and hair, they got the makeup and hair win. That was a small win for diversity. Actually, it's kind of a big win for a black woman in the industry.
1: That was a win.
0: But yeah, I understand what you're saying. There was no, there was no, um, that wasn't one of our fighting points.
1: That was not one of the fighting points. Right. Right, And I mean, to be clear, makeup and hair for black folks in, in television and film is very, very important. And I don't want to, I don't want to understate that. But when we're looking at from a content and and programming perspective, when we're looking at it from an industry executive's perspective, because another one of the the things that happened um, over the course of the strike was a lot of the black folks that we saw get hired into higher roles where they're bringing in black folks, brown folks, queer folks, trans folks, uh, disabled folks, folks from all all other different marginalized groups. A lot of those people who had those jobs are now gone.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, too
1: studios laid them off. We saw various different, we saw that day where there were like four different black woman executives that were gone. Right. None of these guilds were like really fighting for those kinds of things in their negotiations. So the idea that like the industry is gone, diversity, equity, and inclusion, again, I say for last night, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. Because, we are not. That is going to have a translation when we're starting to see what programming gets picked up, what shows are getting made, what things are going out into the world, and what things get stuck in development or which things never get greenlit in the first place. And so, I'm 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 very curious to see over the course of the next two three years what this conversation looks like.
0: Yeah, and then those folks that you're talking about, they canceled a lot of deals under the guise of the strike, uh, which may have really just been about um, downsizing their bottom lines. And those are black creatives who have development deals or um, you know different kinds of plans in place where they can, like you said, create projects that employ many other people both in front of the camera and behind the scenes. so we did see some pretty some pretty serious losses and setbacks in that process
1: can i can I also say to that point the the uh, folks that we saw leaving all of those different roles, um, one, they're probably not going to be going back into those roles, but also mm. when we're thinking about the ways that um, we're seeing things consolidated at the different networks and the streamers, right? Mm-hmm. the way that we're seeing like smaller streamers fall away, we're going to see less and less content, right? We've seen more um, we've seen more black, brown, indigenous, queer, trans like the various different marginalized Groups, we've seen more representation, but when we think about it proportionally, it hasn't been like that major of a jump. And when those things start to recede again, it's going to, it's going to, that number is going to recede as well.
0: Yeah. And the business model is changing, which is why some folks, which is why we only had 86% approve our new contract, because I feel like people can see the writing on the wall and know that next round, uh, those studios are going to be entrenched and we will not have to leverage whatever leverage we had this time. So I think that's true. The the model is changing too.
1: The the other thing I wanted to mention to your earlier point about the studios um, uh, ending deals for creatives. um, The interesting piece about that is that the studios were able to play both sides of the coin on that, right? On one hand, they can say, well, we are, we have to, you know, uh, end your contract, we have to suspend your contract, we can't renew your contract, because we're in strike, and we don't know how long that's going to go. But on the other side, they're at, the, they're not at the table negotiating, right? right. And because we know that there were months where they weren't negotiating with anybody, and so that they could take as long as they wanted to on that side of the table. And on the other side, say like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do, there's a strike, and we, we have to wait it out. And so even that piece is interesting, because of the way that it has specific impact on, on these specific creators and executives that we're talking about. It was a way that they could really clear out a lot of the, the last hired, if you will, yeah. um, to be able to, and hold that as long as they wanted to.
0: How do you think, what was your assessment of um, Anthony Anderson? And, and I asked that in the context of the Golden Globes calling in Joe Coy, right, Filipino comedian, at the last minute when they couldn't get, find anybody else that was qualified and then trashing his performance and how those jobs are often thankless tasks and also um, diversity window dressing.
1: So I... Yes, it is diversity window dressing which uh Gerard Carmichael named, hanged he hosted the Golden the Golden Globes a couple of years ago now. Um I do think it's diversity window dressing. I I have like a a very distinct perspective on this as a person who moved to LA with the dream of hosting the 100th Oscars in 2028. Um I uh, look at this role like a little bit more critically and like Joe Coy got really panned for his performance at the Golden Globe mm-hmm. but like as a person who was watching it I thought he did a really great job yeah <laughs> right like yeah. I was watching his opening monologue and we were laughing right I mean there he's was a funny but he was, they might
0: not with, be getting the jokes those executives and those folks in the like I've seen him at a stadium he's hilarious
1: yeah Exactly, and my my dad was texting me about him last night. Like, do you know this Joe Coy guy? Uh, <laughs> right, and like Joe Coy is is very funny, and like I think he did a fantastic job as a person who was watching him and also recognizing he had ten days of preparation with this and people insane. writing jokes for him, yeah. which is just absurd. Exactly, because we normally know that months in advance. When I look at Anthony Anderson, I loved Anthony Anderson and the way that they, uh, the way that they took a theme and made it move through the night, right? The theme was about like our vintage shows that we loved back in the day. And like all throughout the night, we saw different uh, television reunions happening. And I thought it was really dope to be able to see Arsenio Hall, right? And that wall come mm-hmm. up and he step out and walk out there. It was great to see the Martin cast all together on a, on a, on a version of the Martin set. Um, it was really, really cool to see so many of those different moments and Anthony Anderson kind of like moving us through them. Um, I thought they did a really, really fantastic job last night. And I, as a production design person, I thought the production design of the set last night was incredible, but that's me nerding so we oh, well to but i
0: love that and i'm looking forward to seeing you on the oscars in 2028. 20, by the way jared hill but yeah Thank i mean you. so make television great again got it um we're talking with journalist jared, jared hill and you're invited in 809 20 we are kbla talk 1580
1: more of first things first with dominique Deprima when we come forward your ancestor's favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique De Prima right now. right
0: now. Right now, talking with Jared Hill. Um, and, you know, speaking about the Emmy Awards, um, I also want to circle back to Jesse Collins, who I met when I first came to L.A. with my big uh, Oscar dreams uh, because he was a radio personality at uh, The Beat when I worked there. And a good one at that, he did, um, he did Middays, and we were friendly at that time. And I felt like, you know, I kind of lost track of him, and I looked up, and he's like this amazing producer mogul. Um, Jesse Collins Entertainment does the Image Awards and a lot of things, right?
1: He's hoping they'll be producing my Oscars in 2028. Yes. So I think that would be great.
0: Yeah. So what did you think of the job they did?
1: I, I thought they produced this show really, really beautifully. Like I, I'm, I'm getting a little wary on award shows because of the way that awards work, right? And like having worked in this industry for a while, and like starting to see that. But like I also still really appreciate an awards night, and I love seeing everyone together and in, in celebratory mood. Um, and so watching the show last night was just a lot of fun. I also appreciated the some of the information I learned last night. We we heard uh, RuPaul won again for uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. But I also learned that RuPaul is the most awarded host in history and the most awarded person of color in Emmy history, which was interesting. For That's me as well. so, crazy,
0: uh, actually. I did yeah, not know that.
1: Wow. Yeah, RuPaul's Drag Race has won, uh, you know, year after year after year since it started winning. It didn't start winning right away, but like since it's won, since it started winning, uh, RuPaul has won year after year after year, kind of like we see. Um, in the top category with John Oliver, John Oliver from last week tonight on HBO, which is another excellent show. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed the Emmys last night, and I almost missed it because I f- almost forgot. So I was glad that I, I watched last <laughs> night.
0: Um, yeah, and and Jasmine Guy winning after oh. all these years is amazing too, right?
1: Uh, yes, Jasmine Guy winning um, is fantastic. Uh, I think the moment of the night for me was Niecy Nash winning. Um, I know you. I heard you on the on the air saying like. You weren't watching the Dahmer series, and I wasn't either. But like, I do think it's important that we we speak Niecy Nash's name in this moment. Niecy Nash best because she is a, a phenomenal actress that I think people always consider her with comedy, right? And and we don't take comedy seriously in our culture. Mm. We don't take it as a as an art form in the same way, and so we don't give appreciation to folks like a Niecy Nash. But Niecy Nash is such an incredibly talented actress. We see her in this Dahmer series winning this award. We also see her in Origin coming up from Ava DuVernay. That'll be out uh, later this week. And it is an incredible film that is based on Isabel Wilkerson's uh, book called Cast, um, which really takes a look at the distinctions that in this country we're talking about race a lot. Um, in that film, Isabel Wilkerson is questioning whether or not we're talking about race or if we're talking about caste in certain situations. Um, and that, that film is really, really incredible, led by Anjanu Ellis, who we, we know and love, um, and is incredible uh, is an incredible actress, um, is written and directed by Ava DuVernay, starring Nisi Nash. We also see an incredible cameo performance from, um, from Audra McDonald in that film. It's She's a, really it's having, a having a moment terrific. on TV
0: and film, isn't she? Audra McDonald.
1: Listen... Yeah, Audrey McDonald has a short moment in the film but she is incredible in that moment um, and this is that movie that that we expect Ava DuVernay will probably um, be at the Oscars uh, celebrating and hopefully we'll see something for Anjou Ellis or Nisi Nash or some of the other folks on the film because it's that great
0: yeah I've read the book but I um, I haven't seen the film yet I definitely will go see it of course Oprah said it's um, Ava DuVernay's finest work but Um, Well, maybe we'll talk about Oprah's latest when we come forward, talking with Jarrett Hill on KVLA Talk 1580.